Well, let's uh, pray as we welcome those that are listening this morning by way of WSTL Live. We're glad to have you join us this morning as we continue to look into God's Word and what God has to say to us this morning. Father, we come to you and thank you for the time we've had today to worship you and to honor you. And Lord, we just want to honor you now by opening our hearts to you for what you want to say to us through your Word. Father, you have a calling and a purpose for this church. You have a calling and a purpose for each one of our lives And Lord, we're asking you today to open the eyes of our understanding that we would truly see the hope of your calling for our life that is in Christ Jesus. Your word teaches us that there are things that you have for us that are in your heart that we've not yet seen, heard, or even imagined. But your spirit's been given to us to reveal them to us, even to search the depths of your heart and show us the things that you have freely given to us that we may walk in the fullness of who you've made us to be. Father, there's a purpose and a calling for our lives, a purpose and a calling for this church. And our ability to carry that out is tied to understanding what you've done for us. And so, Father, today as we open this sacred word together, we're asking you by the Spirit of God to breathe on this word and make it alive to us. Speak into our hearts and lives what each one of us needs to see, to hear, and to understand today. And we purpose to open our hearts to receive, not just to hear, but also to do what you show us. And we thank you for this, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. We're talking about walking in the Spirit. This is the subject that that we've been looking at now for a few weeks now. We began with a sort of a mini-series on spirit, soul, and body, which is to basically explain to us that those may not know and remind those of us that have been taught that there, there, the Bible teaches us that there are two realms of existence out there. There's the spirit realm, which is the realm where God exists. That is God's realm. And then there's this natural material realm, which is the realm that God created in Genesis chapter 1, where he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is what he created. And is the material natural realm is anything that exists that your five senses, one or more of your five senses can detect. So if you can see it, feel it, hear it, touch it, or taste it, then it is of this natural material realm. We saw that this realm is a realm that's temporary. It's passing away. There's going to come a day when the Bible says it's going to roll up like a carpet and God's going to bring a new heaven and a new earth here that are eternal. We also saw that this natural material realm, not only is it temporary, but it's subject to decay. It's, it's getting older. And, and, and you know, the, we're going to look at again in the Scripture today that says, oh, the outward man is perishing. That means it's just getting older. It's getting tired. It's wearing out. This natural realm is under a curse. It wasn't created by God with a curse, but in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, they opened this realm up to a curse, and that was Satan to allow Satan access into this realm, which is why the Bible says he's now the God of this earth. He's not the God of the spirit realm, but he is the God over this earth. It says that in the Bible, it says that not only that, when he came to Jesus, when Jesus came to this earth, he tempted him by giving, to tempting him to give him authority over the, all the earth, and that would not be a temptation is Satan did not have it to give. God never gave it to him. God gave it to Adam in the beginning. And then Adam and Eve, when they surrendered to Satan, when they yielded to him, they surrendered to him the authority over this natural material realm, which is why you cannot look at what's going on in the world today until you tell us anything about God, because God's not the one in charge of this world. The devil is. But people out there saying, well, God must not care much because look at happening, all the devastation. This is not God doing it. It's the God of this world's doing it. And in many ways, he's able to do it because the church is allowing him to do it because we've not awakened to the authority that we've been given 
over him. Because when you became saved, when you came to Christ, you were removed from this kingdom, Colossians 1.13, and you were transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. And then the authority that Jesus came to win back, he's now given to the church. In my name you shall cast out demons. Whatever he gave us, his name, his authority, and the church is to be exercising his authority, but most of us are living under the authority of Satan, and we don't even know we're doing that. And so we're living defeated lives, we're living intimidated lives, and yet we're here to do a work. Christ is the head of the body, but we're the body, and we're here to finish what he started. And it says in several places, until his enemies are made his footstool. Well, the footstool's the feet, and we are part of the body, so we're the feet. We're to make his enemies his footstool, and that's what we're here to do, which means we're here to overcome. We're here to overcome in our own lives. We talked about overcoming our flesh. We're here to overcome, we're here to overcome uh, uh, all kinds of things. We're here to live an overcoming life. But you cannot do that by living a life, a natural life. We saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talks about the church at Corinth, which were, although were all kinds of spiritual gifts were operating, they were, he called them very carnal. Because there was infighting, there was envy, jealousy, strife. There were all kinds of things like that going on. He said, because of that, you're acting like mere men. Well, the phrase mere men imply, and since it's not a compliment, implies that we're not to act like mere men. Because if you're in Christ, you're not a mere, you're not just human. We often hear that, well, I don't, you understand, Pastor, I'm just human. No, you're not just human. Your body's human, but your spirit man is born of God. You are a child of God, so you're not just... The real you is not just human. And many of Paul's letters, he starts out by reminding them of who they are in Christ. Basically, don't wake up. You're not just human. You you can overcome the issues of your flesh. You can overcome whatever it is that's holding you in bondage. Whether it's alcohol, drugs, pornography... You, you can overcome that by understanding, this is what we're going to learn to do, by learning who you are on the inside and beginning to operate and cooperate with the kingdom of God that's on the inside. The Word of God tells us that Jesus has come to live inside of us by the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, 11, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. There's not a different Holy Spirit that you got from what Jesus had. It's not a watered-down version. It's not a child version. You go to restaurants and they have the adult menu and the child menu because the child menus are smaller portions. No, you got the full portion he got. Well, how come it's not experiencing it? Why? Because we're not aware of it and we're not walking in awareness of it. And the reason for that is essentially what Paul teaches is we're carnal. Carnal doesn't just mean sinful. Carnal means dominated by our flesh. And we talked about the fact, and we'll probably go through this in a little more dramatic way uh, coming up soon, that, that you are, you're made of three parts. You are a spirit being. That's your inner nature. That's who you really are. You have a body, which is the obvious part of you. It's the part you have me you can see, the part of you that I can see. And that part comes to this material realm. Your spirit man comes from the spirit realm. And then God's given us a soul our mind, our will, and our emotions. And the soul bridges between these two parts of us, the spirit and the body. It connects the two together. So whatever your spirit senses God wants, your soul has to begin to grasp that, interpret that, so that your body can then go carry it out. But it works the other way too. Your body begins to feel aches and pains. And, the, and so your body begins to talk to you. Do you know your body talks to you? It may be telling you're going to sleep right now. 
Right, Ralph? <laughs> and that's my guard. That's our security. <laughs> That'll keep him awake. I know he's praying. <laughs> Where was I? Okay. <laughs> our body's talking to us. Even now, while I'm teaching, my body's talking to me. It's telling me certain things. And, 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 what we, and because we're, we're not disciplined in this, we listen more to our body than we do to what our spirit's telling us. In fact, most of us don't even have a clue what our spirit's telling us, even though it's talking. I love some of the churches around here. They've got flags on them that say, you know, God is, this, there's one near where we live that says, God is speaking. And I want to go right up there some night. Are you listening? Because <laughs> God is speaking. And for a Christian, His primary way of speaking to us is in here by His Spirit inside of us. But the devil makes sure there's so much noise around you with your body, so much noise around you physically that it's hard to do. So we have to learn how to listen. But if you don't know He's in there talking to you, you won't even know to listen. Try to listen. And this is a lifetime thing of learning to do, but the more we do it, the easier it gets to do. And we've seen why that's so important, because the Bible tells us the way to overcome is by walking in the Spirit, not in the flesh. We looked in Galatians 5, 16, it says, the way we overcome the deeds of the flesh is by walking in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of your flesh. Most of us are trying to overcome the lust of our flesh by exercising our flesh, and it doesn't work. God's formula is, that God's method, His prescription is, just walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In fact, the more you walk in the Spirit, the less of an appetite you'll have for the things of the flesh. And you can grow to the place where you're almost not aware you have a body. I've known of people that have grown to that place where they're almost not aware that they have a body. I mean, they know that, you know, i got to get dressed, I got they can feel when it's cold, but they're not, they're, they're not hearing their body all the time. They're so conscious of this God talking to them and God leading them and strengthening them. And this is where the victory is. So it's important for us to learn how to walk in the Spirit. Another term that the Bible uses is to be led by the Spirit. But in order to do that, we've got to be aware of the Spirit. And so what we began to talk about several weeks ago is that in order to walk in the Spirit and be aware of the Spirit, you have to learn to walk by faith because you can't see your Spirit. See, the body is easy. That's why it's so easy to get our attention because we can see it. We can feel it. You get, up in the, you get up in the morning and, you know, and there's this funny growth on the side of your face. You don't have to take any discernment. You, can, you see that. And now your mind begins to try to figure out what does that mean or, or whatever it may be. It comes at you through your senses. That doesn't take any effort. But to begin to get in touch with the reality that's on the inside of you, which is the eternal part of you where the victory is, that takes some developing of a skill and of a sense, and it's really the sixth sense. We have five physical senses, sight, hearing, taste, smelling, hearing, thank you. But there's a sixth sense that you have, and this is what we began to look at last week. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And Paul talks here about how Paul, Jesus, we understand. Well, Jesus was victorious. Nothing ever stopped him. He lived a victorious life. He accomplished everything that God sent him to do. But, of course, that's Jesus. But the Apostle Paul did also. 
And the apostle Paul had everything that the devil could throw come at him to stop him. And when Paul finishes his life, he finishes it victoriously. He said, I've run my race, I've finished my course. There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, not only for me, but all those who love his coming. Paul says, at one point in 2 Timothy, Paul says, all of Asia fell away. That's Ephesus, that's, that's Laodicea, that's all those churches that he founded and gave his life for. At the end of his life, they all backslid. And you don't see, and Paul sitting in a dungeon waiting to be executed writes this final letter to Timothy and you think, he said, oh, Timothy, I'm not sure this was worth it. I mean, I gave up everything. And those turkeys, no pun intended because that's what a turkey is, <laughs> those turkeys backslid. But see, Paul's eyes were not on the people. His eyes were on the Lord he was serving. And the reward that he has. Paul had a secret. And it wasn't that Paul didn't go through things. If you read the first chapter of this letter, he despaired even of his own life at times. In second, Later on in chapter 11, he says, I came to the point where he says, you know, I kind of cried out to God because there was a messenger of Satan not sickness and disease, sent to buffet me. Everywhere he went, there was persecution. There were riots. They were throwing him in jail. They were accusing him of things he did. And it was all for doing what God called him to do. Because the devil will oppose the Word of God because he knows the Word of God is what changes people's lives, sets them free, and the gospel is the heart of it because it changes them from darkness to light. It takes them out of Satan's kingdom and transfers them into God's kingdom, and Satan will do anything he can to stop it, but he's powerless when the church stands up and does what we're supposed to do. Because the devil couldn't stop Paul. He threw everything he had at him, including the kitchen sink, and it could not stop him. Why? Paul had a secret, and that's what we're going to discover today. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart. We talked a little last week about what that was that could have caused him to lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, that's his body. Although my body's getting older, it's been beaten and is getting tired, my inward man, that's my spirit man, is being renewed, getting stronger day by day. So the while you go through this life, as long as you're staying in the Word, and you're praying, and you're keeping in touch with your spirit man, that spirit being is getting stronger. It can get stronger day by day, even while your body tends to, doesn't tend to. It gets older. And why, how's the secret? Verse 17. For this light affliction, which is but for a moment, which is what we just talked about, is working for us a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Stop there a second. You've got to understand, and we'll probably talk about this uh, maybe later this year, beginning next year. The church's struggles, especially in the United States, because our whole perspective is on this life. And, and, you know, we've come through this wonderful time of revelation that God wants to bless us, God wants to prosper us, God wants to heal us, and that's true. And all of those blessings are focused on the benefits in this life. But the downside of that is the church has got its eyes on what happens in this life. So, the, oh yeah, I know there's heaven, but what I'm really concerned about is tomorrow, paying the bills. What I'm really, but what we've got to understand is there is a perspective we've got to develop that's eternal. Because if God never did anything else for you, and you went through the rest of your days on this earth, sick and broke and miserable and suffering, and the moment you breathe your last breath, you're in heaven, it's worth it all. 
But we get so focused on what's happening in this life. Am I blessed? Well, you know, the people next to me, they got a new car. I didn't get a new car. You know, I'm not making any progress. All of this, the devil wants to keep your eyes on this life. Because it's temporary. And the real victory is when we come to realize you're only here for, the Bible says, a hand's breath. In terms of eternity, your 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, whatever it is, is... I mean, if you've been around very long, you know it goes fast. It's hard for me to imagine next year we're married 40, 50 years. 50 years. And some of you have been married longer than that. Where did that go? Where, I mean, it's like, it seemed like just the other day I said, I do. And now I turn around and 50 years? What happened? Why? But in light of eternity, it's nothing. We've got to become eternity-minded, not only for us, but for people around us that are not in the kingdom of God. And we'll talk about that down the road. But that's Paul's perspective here. Because whatever, what he calls this momentary light affliction, it's earning for me. It's working in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Notice the contrast between light and temporary affliction and eternal weight of glory. Paul's eyes were on the, on the reward. His eyes were on where he was headed. His eyes were on the prize. Philippians chapter 3, he says, forgetting those things that are lying behind, I press on towards the upward prize of the upward call of God that's in Christ Jesus. I press on. And if you're in this life, you've got to press into it. It doesn't fall in your lap. But you've got to have that perspective. It's kind of like being in a race. You know, we had the Olympics this last, this year. Yeah, the, if, if their only goal was to make it another five yards, whew, I made it another five yards. You're not going to win. But what they do, especially in the sprints, is they set their, they set their literally their focus on a goal that's past the finish line. So that even when they get close to the finish line, they're looking, not looking at the finish line, they're looking through the finish line. And there's a famous picture somewhere of a runner that was about to win, and they made the mistake of looking to their left to see what their competitor was doing. And when they looked to their left, they pulled back just enough so their competitor went beyond them. So we have to have our eyes on the prize, and it will affect your hope, your confidence, the blessed hope that we have. And that was Paul's perspective. Verse 18, this is what we wanted to get to. And this is how you do it. This is how you overcome. This is how you walk in the Spirit. For we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. We talked about this briefly last week at the end. Now everybody look at me. Now close your eyes. Don't go to sleep. Close your eyes. Okay, you can open them. You just did what that said. You look not at the things that are seen. Because now you can see me. When you close your eyes, you look not at what you can see. That sounds silly, simple, and basic. Because the first part of that is. But look at the rest of what he says. For the things that are seen are temporary. But we look not at the things. But the things that are. But we. Excuse me. We look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. Now try doing that. Open your eyes, and now try looking at things you can't see. Because everything you see is something you can see. So he can't be talking about these eyes. 
He must be talking about looking at something if you can't see it with these eyes. There must be another set of eyes that you can see it with. And here we go. For the things that are seen with these natural eyes are temporary. But the things which are not seen with these natural eyes are eternal. So remember as we began, two realms of existence. You have the spirit realm, which is the eternal realm, which is God's realm, the kingdom of God, and that kingdom is in you, in your spirit man. Then you've got your body, which is of this physical, material, natural realm. That's the realm you can see with your eyes. That's your realm your five senses can detect. And what he's saying is the way to walk in the Spirit is to not look at this. That doesn't mean you're blind to it, but you don't focus on it. You don't gather meaning from it. You don't meditate on it, but you look instead at the, at the realm that cannot be seen. Everybody follow me so far? So we're going to now begin to see, look, how do you look at what can't be seen? How do you look at the spirit realm inside of you that you can't see, feel, touch, hear, or taste? How can you do that? Chapter 5. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, he's talking about our physical body. This is his perspective. We know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, if our body is destroyed, we have, not will get, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now people have turned that in some other verses into talking about our mansions in heaven. And we may have a mansion in heaven. It wouldn't surprise me because God is so wonderful and generous. But I think more what God's talking about is your dwelling place, a body. I think he's referring here more to your spiritual body, your eternal body that you will get when you pass into heaven. You understand for a Christian what death is. Death is simply moving from one house to another. That's all it is. Because the real you is on the inside. Death for a Christian is like this. This is what I came dressed in today. Stepping out into freedom. That's all it is. That's why there's no fear to a Christian for death. Because the sting of death has been taken. The sting of death has been taken. So that's what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about at the point in time when you physically die, when you put off this body, which is your earthly... Notice he calls it a tent. Right. A tent is a temporary dwelling. It has no foundation. And because it's temporary, it's subject to the elements. I remember... Oh, I better... All right. I better not go there. I just don't have time. It's It's a cute story, but... Well, I will. When I was a Boy Scout, we would go camping, and one of the one of the initiation things they had the tents they had then I forgot what they were made of. They were like an oil cloth, and they had a they had a substance on them that made them waterproof. But if you rubbed against them, they would leak. Anybody old enough to remember those? And so what they would do with a young Boy Scout is it, they would get inside the tent to talk to him, and while they're doing it, they're rubbing their back up and back, you know. So when it rained that night, they got soaked. 
welcome to the Boy Scouts. Now, of course, I didn't do any of that. <laughs> but the point is that the tent provided a very minimal protection against the elements. And so this is what Paul's talking about. He says, we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building. A building's a permanent dwelling from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Look at his perspective. For in this, in this body, we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Paul's not trying to hold on to this life, saying, oh, I don't want to die. I can't leave here. Paul's saying, I'm looking forward to it, because every problem I have is in this life. This suit, this body that you have, is the source of all your trouble. What you want to eat you shouldn't eat comes because your body wants to eat it. When you get upset at somebody that you shouldn't get upset about because your body, your flesh gets upset, it's the only thing that's causing you trouble. So Paul says, I can't wait to put this thing off. Because I know when I put this thing off, I put on an eternal one that's, that's made in heaven waiting for me. Verse 3, For indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. In other words, you're not going to be out there without a body. You're not going to be left out there without a body. For we who are in this tent, this body, groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Paul's containing this earthly life, earthly, something mortal, subject to death, with something that's life, real life. And you and I, living in the world that we live in, have trouble really understanding that. But when people have seen a vision of it, it changes them. It changed Moses. I've known people that have literally died and then come back to life. And it changed them forever. They couldn't fear because they'd seen heaven. They'd seen life. They tasted Etern you know, eternal life doesn't mean how long you live because your spirit's going to live forever somewhere. There are many spirits, too many, that are going to live in hell forever. That's not eternal life. Eternal life is life at the level God lives it. The Greek word zoe. It leaves, means life at the level. God is life. He's the source of life. We've talked about this before. When Moses is on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, not only does he eat food, he doesn't drink water. You can't go 40 days without drinking water. Your body cannot do that unless your body is physically in the presence of the source of life himself. And that source of life sustained, nothing can die in the presence of the life of God. And that's what awaits us. Verse 5. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So the Holy Spirit in you is a, the word actually is Arabon, engagement ring or deposit. If you're going to buy a house or some large thing, when you go to the salesperson or the realtor and you say, yeah, I'm going to put a bid on this, I want to buy this, they're going to ask you for a down payment. What the down payment does is it's called earnest money which it means you're earnest about it, you're serious about it, enough to give up 10% or 20% of what this is going to cost. You're going to put some hard cash down, which means you're not just playing games, you mean it. And the Holy Spirit, well, or an engagement ring. 
That's why when we have couples events and we say we're inviting those that are engaged, engagement means there's some evidence there that he is serious. And it's not Cracker Jacks. That ring does two things. It's a sign the guy was serious enough to spend some money. And secondly, it's a sign to others that I'm committed to somebody. And so the Spirit of God in you is simply a down payment. He's the guarantee that everything else God's promised you for the future is yours. And we could spend a lot of time on that. So, verse 6, So we are always confident. Are you always confident? Uh. So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in this body, we're absent from the Lord. And here's what this is all about. Verse 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Now we know from Ephesians 2 that we're saved by faith. Actually, we're saved by grace. And that's received by faith. So our salvation is received by faith. But once you're saved, we still walk by faith. In fact, it says the just shall live by faith. And we walk, but look at, we walk, the word walk means the way you carry your life. It means the way you conduct your life. We walked by faith and not by sight. In other words, we walk with our eyes focused on who we are on the inside more than we do with our eyes on the outside. Now again, as I say over and over again, when you drive home today, use your eyes that are in your head. But when it comes to the things of God, what we do is we override the things on the inside by the physical evidence on the outside. So you get a doctor's report, and that doctor's report is bad news. And you know, this is what I've been through. And it rings in your head. It screams at you. I mean, I walked out of that doctor's office. Those words were screaming at me. And when I got off the phone and he gave me the results of the biopsy, even more, it was screaming at me. My head was swimming. But I know enough to know I got to look inside here. What's going on inside of here? What's he saying inside of here? And see, I, I would love to tell you that I've mastered this, that I just out there, but I'm not. I'm sharing this with you out of my own growth. Because it's real easy to sit up here and teach faith. It's another thing to walk through it when there's really something screaming at you. It's one thing when it's theory. It's another thing when there is really something telling you there's really pain, there's really this symptom. It's another thing when you've got evidence, physical evidence that's speaking to you, screaming at you, telling you one thing's going to happen, and you've got to learn to listen in here, which is why when you're not going through some trial, that's when you need to develop this. So we live our lives by faith. Faith is that sixth sense, that inner eye, which looks at what's going on in the spirit realm. What does God's Word say? What's going on inside of here? And I've told you those stories of being in court situations where something all of a sudden, the, the case just turned upside down, and I was able to get a loan, and instead of going with my training up here and with everybody around me, listen in here, and the Spirit of God gave me answers. That was walking by faith. Walking by faith. So we have to learn to develop that. But if you don't know that that's, the, that's what we're called to do, you won't even begin to look in that direction. So that's what we're looking at. We're learning walking by faith and not by faith. Faith is seeing with the inner eye of the Spirit what the physical eye cannot see. 
Faith is seeing with the inner eye of your spirit what your physical eye cannot see. This Bible is full of promises of things, not that God will do for you, that God's already done for you. 1 Peter 2.24 By His stripes I was healed. When was I healed? When Jesus paid for it on the cross 2,000 years ago. By His stripes you were healed. Now you may not feel that healing in your body yet. You may not see that healing, but you're trying to feel it with your... How many of you have been in a prayer line Somebody prays over you, and immediately you go like this. You check to see, and what are you checking with? One of your, more of your five senses to verify whether something God said He'd do happened. That's walking by sight and not by faith. We verify. And so while you're going through it, I'm just using physical because it's the most immediate thing I'm experiencing. Your body talks to you. You're feeling a symptom. You're feeling maybe pain in your body right now or some ache, or something like that, and, and you're feeling that, and that's, that's telling you, that's evidence speaking to you, saying, you're not healed. You still have this. But what are you listening to? Understand, that's temporary. That's subject to change. What has God said about it? What has God... Some of you are looking at me like my head's turned upside down. I'm just talking out of the Bible. That's because we're so dominated in our thinking by what our senses tell us. Well, my senses telling us it's true. I love what Marilyn says. Marilyn knew about it. No, that's a fact. But there's a difference between fact and truth. Fact can change. I was lost and now I'm found. I've had times when we were broke. We're not broke now. That brokenness changed. Truth never changes. Because Jesus is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. Truth trumps facts. Facts are real. They did that biopsy and what they said they found, I'm not doubting that it was there. But there's a truth that can override those facts, which is that by the stripes of Jesus, I have been healed. Not in the future. I was paid for. And if it's paid for, it's mine. And it's not just in healing. We have to learn to walk by faith. If we're going to walk in the Spirit... You can't see the Spirit. You can't hear the Spirit unless you're using your inner sense, your inner ears and your inner eyes. So we're going to begin to look at some examples of this in the time we're going to begin to look at it. Oh, here's the difference. Faith is seeing with the inner eye of the Spirit what the physical eye cannot see. Listen carefully to this. Because you have faith if you're a Christian. That's part of the fruit of the Spirit. You have faith. What you're struggling with isn't faith. It's unbelief. Faith is seeing with the inner eye of the Spirit what the physical eye can't see. So it's seeing something that exists, but it exists in the spirit realm. Unbelief is trusting more 
in what the natural census tells us as opposed to what God's Word has said. I'll say that again. Unbelief is trusting more in what our natural senses tell us as opposed to what God has said. I want to give you some good examples. And the best example of walking by faith is Jesus. So let's take a look at a couple of stories of His. Mark chapter 4. Familiar stories. I don't want to dwell a lot on those because there's a big example I want to get to. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Story of Jesus that, you know, He's told them, listen, we're going to go to the other side. Let's get in the boat. We're going to go to the other side. They get out there and there's this terrible storm. And we've talked about this before. It's bad enough that these fishermen who are professional sailors are panicked. And where's Jesus? He's asleep on the back of the boat. Now, you may be going through a storm right now, and it may feel to you as if Jesus is asleep. But if He's asleep, He's in your boat. I never saw that before. He didn't stay back on the shore and said, you guys go through it. I hope you make it. I'll see you on the other side. He was in the boat with them, but he was asleep. But just because he, oh, just because he was asleep doesn't mean he wasn't with them. And the reason he was asleep is he said, we're going to the other side. And because he knew it was going to happen, he went to sleep. Faith rests. He had absolute confidence that what he said was going to happen. But on the wave from the one shore to the other, there was a terrible storm they went through. But that storm didn't bother him. So much that he could sleep in it. And again, the waves are coming over the bow of the boat. The boat's up and down, blowing all over the place. And Jesus is resting sound asleep. Why? Because he's not afraid of whether they're going to sink or not because he said we're going to the other side. He knows we're going to the other side. I don't care what the devil throws at us. We're going to the So I can go to sleep. Now, the disciples were not there. So Jesus was not moved by the wind and the waves, which were real. That water was blowing onto the boat. The wind was blowing. The boat was going up and down and all. But it didn't affect Jesus. He wasn't moved by that because he was so aware of the Spirit inside of him that what his natural senses told him could not influence it at all. The disciples panic and they wake him up. And I love it in this verse. They say, don't you care about us? Yeah, okay, verse 35. Go to the next verse. Now when they left the multitude, they took him along with the boat as they was, and the little boats were also with him. Keep going. Verse, and a great, a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling with water. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they woke him up and saying, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? See, when somebody is really walking in faith, it can look as if they don't care because they know the results ahead of time. They already know the results, so why would they care? Because they know the results. See, so when we don't know the results, that's why we're trying to get pity out of people. So you can't feel sorry for yourself and also get the results. Because to feel sorry for yourself is saying, I'm not going to get to the other side. I need somebody to feel sorry for me here. But if you know you're getting to the other side, you don't need people. Why would people feel sorry? See, God's not going to feel sorry for you because He knows what He's already done for you. 
He knows what he's already done for you. Don't you care that we're perishing? Verse 39. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? He's not upset because they woke him up. He's saying, by now, you should have learned something. You should have realized, because I said we're going to the other side, that doesn't mean we're sinking. So they had his words, we're going to the other side, and then they had the wind and the waves, and there's getting water in the boat. That's real water. It's coming up around their ankles, and that water is speaking to them. That water's telling him, you're going to drown. You're, the water's telling him, you're not going to make it. But Jesus gave them a word saying, no, we're going to the other side. they got to choose which one they're going to listen to in the middle of the storm. They're going to choose. And you got to, this is, you have to develop this. Because all of your unrenewed thinking of our mind goes with what we can see. I can see the water. I can feel it around my hand. That's real. It's screaming at me. We're going to drown. And of course, your mind will take what it does have and extrapolate it into five feet of water. But Jesus said, we're going to the other side. He's upset at them because they chose to believe what they could see instead of what he said. Let's look at another example quickly. Let's go over to Mark chapter 5. One of my favorite stories. So I'll summarize the beginning of it and I'll show you. I'm, I'm showing you how Jesus was so in tune with the Spirit inside of Him that no matter what things look like, it didn't move Him. This is a story where Jairus, who was an official in the synagogue, comes to Him it says, Master, my daughter's at the point of death. In fact, one of the other Gospels says she was already dead. And Jesus said, I'll come and heal her. And on the way, they get interrupted by the woman who's had this issue of blood. She touches his garment. Virtue comes out of him. He stops and ministers to her and talks to her. So there's an interruption. We don't know how long it was. But while it, as the interruption is ending and Jesus is turning to head back, a servant comes running from Jairus' house and says, Don't bother the Master anymore. Your daughter's dead. Can you imagine what those words must have sounded to him? I mean, Jesus has said, I'm coming. Oh, Jesus has said, Jesus has said, Jesus has said, I will come and heal your daughter. Jesus has said, Jesus, the Son of God has said, I will, I will, not if I get there in time, not if there's no interruption. I will come and heal your daughter. Now he gets a report. Listen, it's too late. He didn't get there in time. Ever feel like God didn't get there in time? But God's the God of time. That's saying time can control God. Ooh, this is good stuff. That's saying circumstances of this world can stop or control God. 
verse 35. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler of the synagogue's house came and said, Your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any longer? As soon as Jesus heard these words were spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Here's what I believe happened. I believe he's walking down there, and this he overhears the report. And I believe he turns around and grabs, this is my version, he grabs Jairus by the robe, and he says, Man, what has this got to do with it? Fear not. Only believe. What Jesus is saying is, I don't care whether she's dead or not. I said... I was coming to heal your daughter. I don't care whether it's a storm and it looks like the boat's sinking. I don't care whether we got a death certificate saying she's dead. What's that got to do with it? I said, I'm coming to heal her. By the way, you know who I am? I am the resurrection and I am the life. So I don't care if she's dead. But... I need you to fear not. I need you to only believe. And then he takes his disciples and says, None of you stay here. Peter, James, and John, you come with me. So somehow he must have needed three of them that could hook in with him. The other nine, mm, he gets there and they've already got a wake going on. I mean, they had professional whalers back in those days. And they're wailing all over the place. And he comes and says, she's not dead, she's alive. And they start mocking him. And he throws the funeral out. Now, don't do this unless you know. (laughs) Don't try this at home, kids. (laughs) Done by a professional. (laughs) The point is, All of those information was a message that came to him through his senses. He heard the report. He saw the wind and the waves. And none of that moved him. And you know the story. He went and he raised her from the dead. The next story is, we're not going to have time to go read through it, but I'll tell you where it is. It's over in Mark chapter 9. Jesus has been on the mountain with Peter, James, and John again. And he has them stay overside. And he goes over, and all of a sudden, his body changes. And he's, the Bible calls, he's transfigured. What that meant is the glory that was really on his inner, inner, inner nature begins to show up on the outside. And he's, he appears as a glorified body. And then Moses and Elijah appear. And they're having this conversation. Now, Peter gets so excited, he wants to build three churches, tabernacles. He's trying to contain this experience and hold on to it. And then it gets even better because they hear a voice speaking from heaven. Not hear it in here. They hear it here. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. I mean, you talk about a mountaintop experience. Their senses are so filled up. They're physical. Their eyes, their ears, their goosebumps, their flesh... I mean, they've seen Jesus transformed into physically who he really is in all of his glory. And Elijah and Moses talking to him, 
This wasn't something, they saw this. And they heard with these ears. So with their physical eyes, they saw something. With their physical ears, they heard God's voice speak about his son. And they come down off the mountain. And there's chaos. And Jesus wants to know what's going on. And this father comes running over with his son, saying, my son is an epileptic. He's got a demon. And I brought him to your other disciples, the nine, to cast them out, and they couldn't do it, which means they tried. Now, a little lesson here. This shows me that you cannot decide what's God's will by what happens when somebody prays. Because here's nine of his disciples prayed, and they, they, nothing happened, and you didn't hear Jesus say, well, I guess it must not be the Father's will because these guys, nine guys prayed together and, and nothing happened. So I guess it's not... No, no, he said, bring them to me. Bring them to me. And so they bring them over. Let me see. I'll pick up and I can read a little bit of this here. Let's see where we pick up. Um, Mark 9. I better get over there. Let's start in verse... Mark 9. Verse 19. If they can put that up there. Go back to verse 19. There you go. He answered and said to them, O faithless generation, how long will I believe? Jesus, I believe he's frustrated. What frustrated him was unbelief. Especially his disciples. I mean, really, what they'd seen. They've seen him walk on water now. They've seen him calm the seas. They've seen him raise a dead girl. They've seen him feed the 5,000, then he saw him 45, and all that. They've seen these things with their physical eyes. And yet, every time something comes up that tells them contrary to what their senses tell them, or their reason tell them, they go with their senses and not with the, what, God, what he says. And he says, Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I put up? He, I really am convinced Jesus could not understand unbelief. It didn't compute with him. Because God's kingdom and the Father's spirit inside of him were so much more real than what was going on on the outside. That was like to him compared to what he saw in here. How long do I bear up with you? Bring him to me. Verse 20. And they brought it to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. The devil will do that, you know. About the time you're about to confront him, he'll try to make things look worse. Because if he can make it look worse, maybe he can intimidate you and say, See, I'm stronger than you are. And he's trying this with Jesus. And the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. This is all physical, natural evidence. This isn't working. Verse 21. So I asked the Father, how long has this been going on? And the Father said from his childhood, verse 22, as often he's thrown him both into the fire and the water to destroy him. I love it. But if you can do anything, don't say that to Jesus. Have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, one of the things, if, if, if I can, one of the other translations is, because if you can do anything, if I can? No, 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 no. 
If you can believe. See, Jesus said, wait a minute, we got this backwards. You're looking at this in terms of what God can do. It's not what I can do. It's what do you believe? Because all things are possible to him who believes. So the issue isn't on my part about what I can do. The issue is on your part of what can you believe. Now this next verse tells us where most of us are. And immediately the father and child cried out with tears and said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. He had to believe something or he wouldn't have brought his son to him. He had to believe Jesus could do, they could do something. He brought him to the nine, and that didn't work. So he didn't take the son and go home and said, I guess this stuff doesn't work. He now saw Jesus. Well, I'm going to go to another level. He took him to Jesus and asked. So the father had some degree of faith, which is where most of us are. But what happens is when it doesn't work, or things get worse, we retreat. Because the evidence of our senses tells us this doesn't work. The evidence of our senses tells us God's Word doesn't work. And you know where that started? In the garden. The very first thing Satan came at Adam and Eve was to get them to question whether they could trust God's Word. And that is his first step with each one of us. You can't trust God's Word. I mean, after all, you know five people that have what you have and they all died. What's that got to do with it? It's amazing how people, and I'm talking in the context of healing because that's most of what I've been studying and meditating on, but you can do anything else. The devil will tell you, well, but people it hasn't worked for. And then we wonder why hasn't it worked. I don't want to know. I don't want to know why it didn't work. I want to know how to have it work. I'm going to say that again. Because if he can get you trying to figure out why something didn't work, you're focused on the negative. You're building your faith and it won't work. He's, he's a deceiver. The answer isn't, I don't care why it didn't work. I want to know what do I have to do because this does work. What adjustments? What's, 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 what's wrong? Why isn't it working here? Because God's Word does work. Help my unbelief. This is where many, most Christians are. We've got some degree of faith, but unbelief mixed in. The disciples did. Do you know there are only two people Jesus had had great faith? The interesting thing is neither of them were Jews. There was, there was the centurion who he said has great faith. Why? Because Jesus said, I'll come and lay hands on your servant. Jesus, he said, no, you don't need to come do anything. I don't need to see you do it. I, I don't need to see you do anything. I don't need to see Brother Doodad come on Sunday night and lay hands on me. I don't need that. Just say the word. And Jesus went, Yeah! Now I've got somebody that has great faith. And he stopped his old entourage and says, What, did you hear that, guys? I haven't seen such great faith in all of Israel. This is a Gentile, a Roman soldier, has a greater understanding of faith than all of you do that have a covenant with me, God, through me. 
Now, here's the side effect. Why did the centurion have an understanding of faith? He tells us. Because the centurion looks at him and says, No, you don't need to come because I recognize something about you. You are somebody who's under authority and therefore you're somebody who's in authority. And he said, The reason I can recognize that is I'm an officer. I'm also somebody under authority and therefore I am in authority. This is where many Christians struggle because faith and authority are one. Because our faith is that God will carry out His Word. Our faith has to be that there's authority in God's Word. And the reason many of us struggle is we're not under authority. It's hard to be in authority if you're not under authority. Yesterday I put away our garden hoses because it's going to freeze pretty soon probably. But I've noticed something about garden hoses. There's two ends to them. There's the end with the sprinkler and there's the end that you hook up to the water faucet or whatever you call it. Spigot, faucet, you know what I mean. And I can take that hose and hook up the most expensive sprinkler out there to water the grass. And I can turn on the faucet, full blast. But if I don't connect the hose to the faucet, that water is not going to go out the sprinkler. The water doesn't come from the hose. The water doesn't come from the sprinkler. The water comes from the water line that comes through the house. So I have to connect the tube, the conduit, to the hose so that it can flow through it. And Jesus is Peter, this disciple, centurion, saying, I recognize that you're tied in to the source of authority. Therefore, God's authority flows through you, so I know that this water, this of life, is going to flow to my servant. You don't even need to come because it's done with your words. Many of us are trying to exercise, we're trying to water the garden, but we're not hooked up to the faucet. We're not submitted to the faucet. We want to do our, be our own faucet. I've got to end here. I've got to end here with one last story. I'll just summarize. That's Jesus. Peter's great because Peter sees all things, things and he gets inspired. And another time Jesus has sent them out on the boat and he comes out walking in the storm on the water and Peter, when they say, who... He gets scared and Jesus said, it's me. And Peter says, as if you, Lord, bid me to come. And you know the story. Peter got down out of the boat and because Jesus said come, on the word come, Peter gets out of the boat and walks on the word come because you can't walk on water, but you can walk on God's word. You can step out on God's word. And he gets out there and it says he walked on water. He walked. He did it. But then he took his eyes off of Jesus and the word come and began to look with these. See, you can't see come You've got to do it in here. And now he begins to look at the wind and the waves and they're talking to him. They're telling him, you can't do this. You can't walk on water, especially in a storm. Of course, you can't walk on water when it's calm either. So the storm has nothing to do with it. But it was evidence in his face that you can't do this. And the moment he began to take his attention off of the spirit and put his attention on his 
what his five senses told him, he began to sink. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Let's pray. Father, you've called us to walk by faith. We come to you, Lord, today and ask you for the grace to see in our own lives, to apply in our own lives today and recognize where we are in this growth in faith. We thank you for your mercy. That just as Jesus was merciful to the Father who said, I believe, help my unbelief. Just as Jesus was merciful to Peter who stepped out and walked and then he got distracted and started to sink. And Jesus came and picked him up and brought him back to the safety of the boat. So are you here with us as we grow in faith. Lord, encourage us. Challenge us that we must grow in faith so that we learn to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh so that we learn to overcome by the kingdom of God that's in us. For there's much at stake in our lives, in our families' lives, and in this church, and in what you want to do, in our learning to walk by faith and not by sight. Thank you for your grace and your patience with us as we continue to grow and learn in this. In Jesus' name, amen.